A father's job is to give their children confidence and strength and support, isn't it? It really is. And a good father gives their children a platform and sets them up to succeed. And I want to bring an illustration this morning um, of what a great foundation and what a strength the Father has given us in communicating the Lord's Prayer to us through Jesus, through his teaching. Now, I don't know if you're a person that likes to watch box sets on the TV, um, but something that Chloe and I have really enjoyed in the last uh, 18 months, couple of years or so, uh, has been the American series, This Is Us, uh, on Amazon Prime. And uh, if you've not had a chance to see any of This Is Us, I do recommend it. The acting is fantastic. The dialogue is sharp. The scenarios are very real. And there's also this kind of underlying kindness in the stories, which is just very appealing. Uh, It's very heartwarming uh, as a series. Now, the story centers around a family called the Pearson family. Uh, And there's the mum, Rebecca, and and the dad called Jack. And they have three children, Kevin, Kate, and Randall. And there is a scene in season one of This Is Us where Randall is nine and he gets taken along to his first karate session with his dad, Jack. And, and it's, such a, it's such a great little scene. It's only a couple of minutes long. Um, and rather than try and explain it verbally to you, I think it's just one of those things where it's a, a picture says a thousand words. So just watch the screen a minute and watch this uh, unfold. Take a look at the screen. What are we here to build, boys? three pillars. Now, before we begin, we have a new member to initiate today. Randall, come over here. Fathers. Randall, how old are you, son? Nine. Nine years old. Fine age. Do you think you have a good life? Yeah, I think so. Good. Good. I hope you always have a good life. But as you get older, you might start to find that things get harder. The world isn't always a kind place, especially for men like us. Take a look at the people on this map. We are your community. When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show him. Good. Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. What are we here? When I watched that scene uh, for the first time, it went very deep into my spirit because it expresses a profound truth about fathers. Fathers absolutely do need to give their backs for their children to be lifted up. They really do. 
We need the support and strength of fathers and father figures. And the link to that clip is in your version notes if you want to watch that later today. And if you get a chance to watch This Is Us or catch up on it, I really, really recommend it. I wanted to share that clip today because I wanted to give you a tangible experience of what it's like uh, to have a father or a father figure's strength in our lives, underpinning everything that we are and everything that we're about. And for me, the Lord's Prayer works a bit like the Father's back, on which we can all lie, because we get power and support and wisdom and strength from our Heavenly Father. And the Father in heaven does the, the lifting. He does the exerting. He's the one doing the press-ups. We just need to go uh, to him and ask and receive his support as his sons and his daughters. So anytime you imagine the Lord's Prayer, I want you to think of that image. I want you to think of that little lad, Randall, lying on his dad's back, being lifted by his dad. Because that's what happens whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer you are being lifted spiritually by your Father in heaven who listens to you and he wants to support you. Uh, incidentally, I think that uh, when Milo Ventimiglia filmed that, uh, I think he an- ended up doing 200 press-ups because of all the different takes he did. Uh, that's uh, quite a lot of work. <laughs> Let me tackle a question before we get into the meat of part one of, of our Lord's Prayer series this morning, which is a, a big question, which is what is prayer anyway? Well, prayer is, in essence, a conversation. It's a conversation with God. We say some things to Him. He says some things back to us. We have a dialogue. There's a time of communication between us and the Lord. And the conversation we can hold with God uh, can be about anything, and it can be held at any time. There are no barriers to us praying to God, because prayer is chatting to God. That's what it is. That's the, you know, that's the bottom line. Anytime you chat to God, it's, technically it's called prayer. But some conversations are important, and they really need to communicate something, don't they? Um, I don't know if you've ever overheard a conversation between a child and their parent where that child is kind of really finding it a struggle to make the ask. Uh, You know, perhaps they sense in their spirit that it's too big a thing to be asking for, and they kind of, you know, you know that they want to ask something, and they step forward, and they kind of go, and you're like, uh, sorry, what, you're asking something here. PS5. Oh, 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 okay, so let's get to the clarity here. What you're saying here is you'd like a PS5 for your birthday. Have I heard that correctly? And then, of course, the, the son or the daughter says, yeah, yeah. And so in those important conversations, clarity and frankness are helpful. Uh, mumbling and waffling and uncertainty are not so helpful. Now, God doesn't mind if we waffle and mumble and are uncertain, but the Lord's Prayer is Jesus giving us God's guide to avoid mumbling and uncertainty uh, and waffling. And it teaches us how to chat to God when it's important. And of course, we can chat to God about everything and nothing, but in teaching us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us all the main ingredients for a prayer that covers all the bases. Uh, So we know we're praying the right kinds of things. Or perhaps if we didn't know what to say or the order to say them in uh, or what to include, the Lord's Prayer kind of solves that puzzle for us a bit. It's a pattern for praying that gives us confidence that we are praying in alignment with God's will for us. Because Jesus himself has taught it to us. The disciples asked, how do we pray? And he said, this then is how you should pray. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking many of the different uh, elements that make up the Lord's Prayer so that we will know more of what we mean when we are praying it. 
so that, that's kind of like my, my intro to, uh, to prayer. I think it's also reasonable and fair just to say one or two things about dads too, okay? Um, I'm quite blessed in, in that I have and have had uh, many dad figures in my life. Um, I have my own biological dad, uh, like everyone on the planet, of course, um, but I also have an adoptive dad, uh, and he lives out uh, with my mum in France. I also have a father-in-law, uh, Chloe's dad, who very much treats me uh, as his own and welcomed me into their side of the family right from the off. Um, now, I have three grandfathers because of my adoptive situation. Uh, that's my mum's dad, my biological dad's dad, and my adoptive's dad's dad. So one of those three granddads I kind of didn't know so well. Uh, he was an architect. Um, uh, but the other two granddads I knew a lot better. Uh, one of them was a fireman and a sprinter. Uh, he could run sub-100 uh, sub uh, 11 seconds in 100 meters, basically, which is uh, pretty fast. Um, and the other granddad was a flight instructor for the RAF. And these were guys that I really admired and looked up to and were my heroes. And then I had work dads, uh, people in the world of work that I would go to and who were fatherly to me, uh, who looked out for me, who gave me opportunity, who gave me guidance, who gave me wisdom and encouragement to, to step on in my, in my journey of work. Um, and of course, like many of us, we've got spiritual dads as well, people that we look up to that are a bit further on in the journey than we are, that we look to to be those kind of spiritual dads uh, in, in, in our journey of, of following Jesus. And of course, so many of us here today would put our hands up to say, yes, I know I have a heavenly father too. So in terms of dads, there's, there's kind of a lot of models there for us to pick from. Now, I don't know how, how, what your dad was like or what your dad is like. You know, you, you know, maybe your dad's like a kind of crazy, adorable, hardworking, courageous, wacky kind of dude that you just want to spend loads of time with, that does really dangerous things that your mum would never approve of, you know, like handbrake turns in the car park in Tesco when it's snowy, you know. Not that I've ever done that. This is not the platform for public confession, but yeah, I may have done that. Uh, so sorry, Chloe. Um, and, uh, or maybe we've had dads that had a mixture. You know, to be honest, most of us have got a bit of a mixture in our dads, haven't we? Some really great things that we adore. And then maybe some things where we see that they can struggle. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's tensions there. Maybe it's not been quite so perfect. Um, maybe you and your dad just didn't get along. You know, that maybe there was a lot of friction. Maybe that you know, there was a lot of personality clash. And perhaps even worse still, you know, perhaps you got uh, raised up in a household with a really difficult or even an abusive dad. One of the most compelling parts to the storyline in This Is Us, that series I mentioned, with Jack Pearson, who was doing the press-ups, is that the story about his dad is one of dysfunction. His dad was somebody who struggled with alcohol. Um, and some of the storyline in that is quite harrowing, actually. It's quite hard to watch. And yet, even with that, there's an episode or a season, I think, where one time his dad brings home this block of ice cream, and there's a kindness and a warmth and a reflection there of love towards this man, even though he was really difficult. Now, why do I say that about dads? Because I'm saying these things about dads because the, the Lord's Prayer opens with two words. It opens with these two words, our father, our father. And I want us to understand that we might have a range of different experiences when we say the word father. And of course, that then affects how we feel about our father in heaven, how we feel about praying to somebody that we call our father. And so here's the first sort of main teaching point I want to bring us today. Your father is not the same as our heavenly father. 
He is not the same person. Now, if you had a father that represented lots and lots of great things about God, that's a really great thing. And, and I don't minimize that at all, and that's how it should be. You should be raised in a home where the person you look at as dad represents something of God to you. Um, but that may not have always been the case. There may be some difficulty there. There may be some tension there. And, and I think it's really important that we understand that we unlink our concept of our own father from the heavenly father who sits in heaven, who looks down on us from heaven. In fact, in 2004, I had quite an insight about this one time. Just it was a sort of standard church service, Sunday morning, uh, and I had a very strong impression from God that God was saying to me, I am not your father. I am not your father. And I found it very, it was an odd thing to experience, and yet I found it quite releasing because it allowed me to tease out some things that, uh, you know, that my dad maybe had said and done that I'd found hard, uh, and I started to see Father God in a kind of slightly separate light, even though, of course, there'd be a crossover between those two, those two people, uh, those two characters in my life. So when we open this wonderful prayer that Jesus taught us to pray with these two amazing words, our Father... We are praying to someone who may share lots of the qualities of our earthly dad, but also who is significantly different from him. Um, And in fact, our father forms part one of our series, The Lord's Prayer. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles and on your devices to Luke 15, 11 uh, to 31. Luke 15, verses 11 to 31. You'll find this in your version notes. The link to the version uh, event on, on the Bible app, that version Bible app, is in the YouTube description. For those of you guys who are watching us online, uh, please do jump into that. We, as a church, make quite a lot of the version uh, Bible app. And in fact, it's not too late to join our read-through of the Bible. Uh, we're doing a read-through of the Bible in a whole year on the version. We've got a, 130 people on there from BCC all reading along together. Uh, And as you can imagine, during the day, the comments really build up. It's great fun. But there's space still there to join that if you'd like to be part of that. Um, We'll put the QR code up at some point uh, before you go home uh, to see that. So Luke 15, uh, verse 11, we're going to be taking a read through of a very well-known parable. The parable of the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke. Now, we often hear messages from this parable uh, based probably mainly around the younger son. And and the younger son is a person that we kind of all identify with because so many of us, in various forms or another, have sort of strayed away from the Lord or gone off and done our own thing or never even known the Lord and have kind of got born in the far-off country, never never mind left the home and went away. And, And we kind of, when we find the Lord, there's a lot of identification with that younger son, isn't there? And so I'm no doubt that many of us in this room will have heard lots of messages on the the prodigal son himself. Um, It's probably more rare to hear messages around the older son, uh, but there's great teaching in what the older son says, great things to steer clear of because he's got quite a religious mindset, the the older son. Um, And in some ways, the parable of the prodigal son breaks into three R's. You've got rebellion, which is the younger son going off and doing his own thing. You've got religion, which is dutifulness and, and joylessness. But, but no real heart connection in the older son. But then in the father, you have relationship, which is, it's all about relationship with the father. And so as we read today, I want you to play, pay real close attention uh, to the father in the story. Listen to what the, what the father does. See how the father reacts, because the father in the parable of the prodigal son is one of the best illustrations of our heavenly father that exists in the whole Bible. I really believe that. 
In fact, sometimes when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I sometimes imagine myself almost praying to the man in this parable, who is the Father, because of his qualities and and the way that he represents the Father heart of God and his fatherliness to us. Uh, So let's pick it up from verse 11, and we'll read that out together. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your, in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became very angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this father of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So... I did a detailed read-through of the parable of the prodigal son afresh. It's a a favorite. I'm sure it's a favorite with you as well. Um, But what I did was I did a read-through from the point of view of what do we learn about the father? How many qualities does the father show? What's he like? And to be honest, it's a ridiculously large number. Uh, I got a bit bogged down in my sermon prep, if I'm really honest, at about three sides of A4 of notes of different things that I spotted about the nature of the Father. In fact, I counted up 33, uh, and I think there might even be more. I couldn't stop the depth uh, of the passage coming through. So, like, if you'd like that whole list, I'd be very happy to send you that. We can, I can email that. You can just ask me that if you're really keen to know all of those. That's fine. But for the purpose of our message today, you'll be glad to hear I'm not taking you through a 33-point sermon. Uh, I'm going to pick out what I think are the top three, the top three qualities of the Father. And these are particularly helpful in relation to praying our Father uh, from the beginning of the Lord's Prayer because I think it's really important that we understand who it is that we're speaking to. When we say our Father at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, 
Who is that? Who is that person? And this picture of the father that we get from the prodigal son, from the parable of the prodigal son, gives us loads and loads of clues as to the quality of the person that we're speaking to. Just his nature, his character, uh, and how incredible he is. So let's go through uh, some of those things uh, and encourage you. So the first thing, and these are in your, your version notes, the first thing to say is, our Heavenly Father is absolutely delighted, delighted when we turn to him. He is delighted when, he, when, when we turn to him. Do not miss this. He is, the thing that comes from this parable, the most strongest, the the strongest off the page is the delight of the father at the reunion. Uh, When my family came back uh, to the UK in 1976 from Zimbabwe, uh, we actually ended up losing touch with my biological father. Uh, What had happened was that uh, my mum had married uh, a guy called Martin, and and they were together for a couple of years, but it just didn't work out. And my mum ended up eventually remarrying, and uh, my new adoptive dad, and my mum, and me, and my younger sister, we all came to the UK in 1976. And actually what happened was we lost touch with my biological father's family over that time. Uh, And around the time that I became a Christian and I got married and I I had George, my eldest son, I started to be a lot more interested in being a father. uh, uh, And then I also started to be a lot more interested in who my biological father was and what he was like. And and I hadn't ever really known him as my biological father. He'd been introduced to us as a sort of family friend, but I didn't really get, you know, that was kind of managed for me a little bit. And and I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, and, And so there was a journey to go on in understanding who my biological father was. And so I decided in that season, in the early 2000s, that I would track down uh, my biological father's family and find out a little bit more about who he was. And I found out that, unfortunately, my biological dad had died of a sickness in 1981, and he wasn't there to be found. But as I persisted in my search, and I I kept on looking for uh, for clues and uh, picking up a trail, I found that I had an uncle who was my, uh, my dad's younger brother. Uncle Jeremy, his name was, and he was still in that part of the world. He was working in a, a little tiny country in the heart of South Africa called Lesotho. Um, is anybody here from Lesotho at all? Anyone here at all? Because it's a very small country, only about a million people. It's about half the size of Birmingham. It's like a really tiny na- nation state. But Uncle Jeremy was working in Lesotho, and um, uh, he was amazed that I'd contacted him. He'd kind of given up all hope of ever finding the family, Uh, and then he amazed me in turn uh, by saying, oh, by the way, your biological granddad is still alive. Um, and he's in his 90s, and uh, when, when we found where he lived, I was doubly stunned because he lived only 20 miles away from Chloe's mum and dad. How amazing is that, uh, that that reunion would go on, you know, that that possibility of a reunion would go on, and, and he's a, he was a great old guy. He was pretty tech-savvy. Uh, I guess it maybe runs in the family. I don't know, but he had an email address. He was on a Mac, uh, and I sent him an email, and he sent me a reply back that went, hello, grandson, like that, and it was just awesome. Uh, we, we, we decided to connect up, and in fact, the first time we met him was on George's second birthday. Uh, we met him for lunch, and it was just a brilliant occasion to meet with him after such a long period of being uh, disconnected. We had five years with Granddad Gordon before he passed away in his late 90s, and we did some lovely granddad and son, uh, grandson things, you know, like we went to the pub for a pint. Uh, that was great. Uh, we ended up watching England versus Cameroon in a World Cup qualifying match on the sofa with glasses of Coke and slices of cake. That's such a granddad thing to do, isn't it? 
Really, really enjoyed my time with him. But the main thing, and the reason I share uh, that story with you, is that Grandad Gordon was someone who was really, really, really pleased to see me. He was really pleased to see the whole family. He would literally beam with pleasure when we went to visit. He was just super pleased to have me back in his life. He was delighted. I remember one time we drove over to their house in Woodhall Spa, and uh, we pulled up on the drive, and it was raining, and he was standing on the drive with an umbrella, ready to let my wife out of the car door, smiling. Such a gent. Oh, it's just a legend. So he was just delighted and pleased to meet us and to be, uh, and to be with us. And I want to I share that story with you because our Heavenly Father is the same. Our Heavenly Father is the same. He's just like it, even more so. He is absolutely delighted with us. He is delighted with us when we turn to him. He's delighted with us when we reunite with him. He's delighted with us when we talk to him, when we connect with him. In the parable, the father spots the younger son from far off. He's filled with compassion, and he runs, and he hugs him. You know someone is, 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 is passionate and kind and, and loving and determined about you when they're prepared to drop all decorum and run to come and give you a hug. When someone runs to give you a hug, they want to see you. They are pleased that you are back in their world. He runs and he hugs him. He gives him a big fat kiss and they start the celebration straight away. This is a dad who I think had kind of given up on his son being lost for good because he says twice, doesn't he? Uh, this is the son that was lost, uh, that was dead and is now alive again. It was lost and is now found. He, I think, had signed off in his heart and yet he was fattening a calf. This was a man who was ready to celebrate. Uh, and he finds no trouble in turning that readiness to celebrate into a party for his long lost son. Our Heavenly Father is delighted when we return to Him and when we turn to Him. And I want you to know this because this is the person that we speak to when we say those words, Our Father. When we say Our Father at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we are speaking to a person in heaven who is absolutely delighted to be with you. Can I get that into your spirit, BCC? He is absolutely delighted to be with you. And I know some of you are sitting there in your seats thinking, are you sure? And I'm saying, yes, absolutely. He is delighted to see you. He is delighted to be with you. He loves you. He loves your company. He loves it when you speak to him. When those words, our Father, start in anybody's lips around the planet, like a love heart goes off in God's heart. He clicks like on it. He clicks love on it. He is happy. He's delighted. And I think that makes me want to pray. I want to pray to a person like that whom I know delights in us. So number one, our Heavenly Father is absolutely delighted when we turn to him. Number two, our Heavenly Father does not hold our wrongdoings against us. It tells us that the younger son came to his senses and decided to return and he rehearsed a speech. Now, we've all done that, haven't we? You know, when we've done the wrong thing or we're facing a hard conversation, we do that speech rehearsal. You ever done that? You know, you're in the car on the way to work. You know you're going to have a difficult conversation with your boss because you're stuffed up and you rehearse what it is you're going to say. Or you're going to go and make amends with someone because you know you've made a mistake. And you're just running through how it's going to play in your mind. And you're praying that it doesn't go really kind of hairy and pear-shaped and just completely out of control. You are wanting that conversation to go well. And the son does this. He does this. He rehearses a speech. Dad, I've been an idiot. 
I'd really be happy to just be taken on as an employee in your household. The son knows he's done the wrong thing. And he rehearses a speech. In fact, here's something for you to spot. It seeps into his sense of identity. He says this, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now that is where he starts to drift into lies. Because he still is the son, isn't he? That hasn't changed. His behavior hasn't changed his status with the father in any shape or form. And that's a truth that some of us need to receive today. And in fact, that's a truth that the Freedom in Christ course really unpacks well. Your status and your position should not be attacked or affected by your behaviors. They aren't, in fact. And Satan is great at making the story of our behaviors and trying to turn that into the story of our character. No, that's not right. No, that's not true. I'm I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son is a lie from the enemy. Now, here's something interesting. Does the father even appear to hear this speech? Does the father quiz the son about the lost inheritance money? Is the father keeping score and keeping track record? No, he is not in all three cases to that question. No, no, and no, he's not. So when we determine to get in front of our heavenly father in prayer because we know we've done some wrong, I'm not sure our heavenly father even hears it. I'm not sure he even listens. He knows we've rehearsed the speech in advance. He knows what's in our minds, and he doesn't care about it because he loves us. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not preaching a theology of, oh, we mustn't ever confess. I think confessing is very, very important. And actually, we we worship a God of justice. And actually, there are some things that go wrong in our world that need accounting for. But in this parable, we see a father who isn't interested in hearing our tale of woe and and on our list of sins. Jesus takes no notice of Peter in Luke chapter 5 when Peter, says, when Peter says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Do you remember that episode? Peter suddenly realizes that Jesus is divine and the Son of God, and he starts feeling convicted in his spirit. And he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus does not say anything. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, Peter. Look at all those things you did. Yeah, Peter, that's, that those things that you did were wrong. He moves on. He doesn't even pay any attention. Uh, he says, come and fish with me for men instead. Stop fishing for fish. Come and fish for men. The whole issue of Peter's uh, track record doesn't even seem to feature. And in this story of the parable of the prodigal son, the father is not interested in the rehearsed speech. He starts to set up the party, in fact. And just in case we've missed the point... Does the father react to the older son by challenging all the nastiness that comes out of the older son's mouth? Because to be fair, the older son says some pretty grotty stuff, doesn't he? Not very nice. He disowns his brother. He accuses him of things. Uh, It's not a good relationship. But But the father in the power of the prodigal son doesn't challenge those things. In fact, he switches the focus of the conversation with the older brother right back around to what is good and right and worthy of celebration, the restoration of his lost brother. So when we start the Lord's Prayer with those two words, our father... He barely even hears our confessions, and as far as he's concerned, our sins have already been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And we need to get our heads around that a bit. And doesn't that make you want to pray as well? 
We have a Father who does not hold our sins against us. So number one, we have a Heavenly Father who's absolutely delighted to bits when we turn to Him. And number two, our Heavenly Father doesn't hold our wrongdoings against us in any way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Our Heavenly Father, lastly, number three, wants to restore our dignity, worth, and value, and He wants to do it urgently. He wants to crack on with that. I can imagine that the younger son's return home from the distant country would have been really tough to achieve for him. If you remember in the story, he was longing for something to eat, and nobody could give him anything, and then he came to his senses. So just imagine that with me a moment. He's hungry. He doesn't want to eat the stuff that the pigs are eating. Nobody's giving it to him anyway, and he suddenly realizes, from the distant country, I need to go back and be with my father in his household. And so he starts a journey from a place of destitution because he's got rid of all of the things that he got given by his dad as part of inheriting the assets. So he's got nothing left. I imagine he's barefoot. I imagine he's got no uh, possessions left. He's probably just got a tunic or something. And he sets off on this journey. And so by the time he arrives at his father's house, he's going to be... He's going to be hot and tired and dusty and knackered and just like utterly down in his spirit. Really, really tired and, and uh, just in a really bad place. Really wretched. Really, really wretched. And when the father sees him, however, the father goes and gets the best robe. And he covers his son over. And you see, one of the things that the father does for us is he covers us in the messiness that we get into. And I love that about the Father. The Father seeks to cover you. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where Noah gets, he plants a vineyard after the flood's gone and and he gets drunk and he goes into his tent and he's not wearing much and his younger son goes in and kind of ridicules that but the older two sons, they walk in backwards with a covering because they want to protect his dignity. And the Father heart of God to us is to protect our dignity in our mess when we screw things up, when we make a a hash of stuff. He wants to offer a covering to us, and that's what the robe represents. Um, I think the ring on the finger is no more complicated than he just wants to give his son a bit of bling and to say, hey, you are worth something. You are valuable and precious, and I want something sparkly on your finger to make you feel better about yourself because you've had a rubbish time. And I can see you've had a rubbish time. So here, have some jewelry. I want you to feel better. Who feels better in this place after they bought some nice new clothes and they look good in them? Come on, admit it. We all feel better, don't we? And the Father knows that. And the Father's highest to provide for us in order that we would have those things and that we would feel good and that we would feel smart and we would feel worth something. I'm sure you've seen those films on social media where like somebody who's been sleeping rough gets like a full suit of clothes and a haircut and stuff and it it breaks your heart. Because you know that that something kind has happened in terms of covering that's gone on. And value has been invested and dignity has been restored. What I love about this story as well uh, is that the father jumps to it. You know, the ring and the sandals and the robe. He's kind of like, come on, let's get this sorted. He's on it. He's fast. He tells his servants to jump to it. There's an urgency about restoring the dignity and the worth and the value back onto this younger son that's incredibly appealing. So when we start the Lord's Prayer with our Father, we are speaking to a person who has made it his mission to restore our dignity and our worth and our value properly and quickly. 
The Lord's Prayer opens with our Father, and our Father is delighted when we turn to Him. He doesn't hold our wrongdoings against us, or our mistakes, or our lack of wisdom, or our, or our self-centered choices about our inheritance. And He works urgently on restoring our dignity and our value. Would you stand with me, BCC? And we're going to sing a song uh, right now. And I want you to bring your heart to the Father as we sing. And then we're going to respond in some ways uh, after we've sung a bit. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, team.